Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. Well, for the last uh, three months or so, we were dealing with a, a book that we would refer to as a narrative, a story passage. And uh, that sure is intriguing to us because we like a good story. We're people that have been made in God's image to appreciate story. But there's something nice about coming to church and hearing a story and getting some application points. But now we go back to a book that is what, I, what we would refer to as much more doctrinal. It's, it's a little more rigid and, and rigorous. It takes, a, um, it takes a ready mind and heart, as I mentioned. We need to come every Sunday when we get to a book like 1 John, and we need to come ready to work hard, because the study of God's Word is very hard work. One of our children asked me before church, not my children, but one of the children in the church said, do you like what you do? <laughs> do you like just do it on Saturday? And um, the answer is, I love what I do, and the, just like your job the study of the Word of God in preparation for a time like this is hard, hard work. And so it is for you. I ask you to come every Sunday. I know you've worked hard all week. I ask you to come every Sunday ready to work hard with God's Word. We begin this study of 1 John. And uh, we begin by recognizing a very important point. And I need you to hear this statement because it is the way in which I have chosen to begin this entire book study. All of Christianity stands on the shoulders of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the good news is those shoulders are big enough to hold all of Christianity. Let me say that again. All of Christianity stands on the shoulders of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the good news is those shoulders are big enough to hold all of Christianity. In a manner unlike any of the apostles, John the Apostle writes to clarify who Christ is and who he was. John's entire writing ministry is focused on the person and work of Christ. And hear me, how the real Jesus changes our life. How the real Jesus changes our life. John wrote five books in the New Testament. The first one is the Gospel of John. When we say the Gospel, we're not speaking of the Gospel of Christ. We're speaking of John's Gospel, the fourth Gospel. It was written, that Gospel was written to see sinners converted to Christ, as we'll see in a moment. He also wrote 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. We're going to refer to those as the letters of John. And then lastly, he wrote the book of Revelation. 1st John, as well as 2nd and 3rd John were written to confirm those who had claimed to be followers of Jesus. John helps his readers a lot in his writing by directing them to the very purpose of his writing. For instance, in his gospel account in John chapter 20, 
he says this of why he wrote that gospel. He said, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing ye might have life through his name. That was the very purpose of those 21 chapters of the gospel of John. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. And that in believing you might have life through his name. In 1 John, there are several places that John helps us to grasp the purpose of his writing. We're going to see today in verse number 4, he says this, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. At the beginning of chapter 2, he gives another occasion for this writing when he says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. Then later in chapter 2, he tells him he also wrote, because there's some false teachers that are trying to seduce them away from Christ. And so in verse 26 of chapter 2, he said, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But then he concludes in chapter 5. He concludes in chapter 5 by giving us the primary reason for the whole letter. Just like he did at the end of his gospel account, at the end of 1 John, he says this in verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. So in John chapter in John 20, it was to those that he wanted to believe. In 1 John 5, he's written to those who have believed, and here's what it is, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. John wants the believers to whom he writes to have assurance that they have eternal life. John states it like this. He says the predominant theme of John's letter is that of Christian certainty. Christian certainty. He wants you to be certain of your faith in Christ. And so he's providing them with some ways in which they can be assured of their salvation. Here John is writing sometime, I know it's a big time frame, but sometime between 80 A.D. and 95 A.D. We don't know exactly, but we know that he's writing to believers in modern-day Turkey because Christianity and the Christianity that the apostles had received from Jesus was under attack. And because it is, John, John needs to clarify what Christians believe about Jesus. What do we do with his commandments? And he needs to clarify the nature of Christian love for one another. Now, you got to understand something. This is so important to understanding the book. The false teaching that had crept into the Johannine community there in modern-day Turkey, were, they were attacking all three of these core truths. They were attacking the sufficiency and deity of Christ. They were attacking the commands of Jesus. And they were attacking the centrality and the importance of Christian love. And so the group that is there that is in Ephesus and the surrounding community, had watched some people secede. They had left the Johannine community, the John, the followers of John's community. And the believers that are left are stunned. They're bewildered. Now stay with me. They're bewildered by all that has taken place in the churches. Those that were with them had left them. And so the reason for that is They had turned aside from these core truths that John speaks of. And so John clearly needs to address these categories of Christianity. I want to tell you this, because I think it's important that you know this as we get into this. In many cases, 1 John John is a call to get back to basic Christianity. It's not complicated. 
John's way of writing is difficult. It's black and white. It's this is what it is and this is what it isn't. But it's a call to basic Christianity. And in so doing, John is clarifying who the true believers are. He will also help those. He's going to help those who doubt their salvation to know that they are saved, as he said in 1 John 5. Because we need to know something. Hear me. And I tread carefully saying this. And I understand it might unsettle us a little bit when I say it, but hear me. It is absolutely possible to profess Christ and not possess Christ. You say, how do you know that? Because the people that have been persuaded by false teaching in 1 John were professing that they were believers in Jesus, but they did not possess the true, real Jesus. At the same time, it's possible to doubt your salvation. Now, this should not scare those who believe. If you're a Christian today, it should not scare you because your salvation is strong enough to endure the tests that have been given here. And the gospel is at the same time serious enough that we should be willing to allow the word of God to examine our profession of faith. Now, we're going to talk about this some as we progress in the weeks and months ahead. But today we're going to begin, we're going to begin by looking at what is referred to often as John's prologue. The Gospel of John had a similar feature. Introductory remarks. Today we're going to see some similar language to the prologue that was found in John's Gospel. And so look at, let's look at how 1 John opens. Number one, it opens, it opens by speaking to us about the word of life. The word of life. Would you look at verse 1 with me? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. I'm going to stop right there. Here in John's opening words, do we find a grammatically complicated explanation of who John is speaking of? The first and the last clause in this statement help us to grasp the person to whom John refers. He says, that which was from the beginning, first clause, the last clause of the word of life. Now, on its surface, this sounds very familiar and similar to John's gospel. Remember John's gospel, very familiar verse in verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And I do believe here that as John introduces this letter, he is talking about the eternal preexistence of the Son of God. We need to understand that there was never a time when the Son of God was not. Never. Ever. There was never a time when the Son of God was not. But then John expounds on the fact that the eternal came, the eternal came, that person that was from the beginning, the word of life, came. The eternal came and existed bodily. Reminiscent of John chapter 1 in his gospel account, verse 14, which says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, at the very beginning of this, what a blessed word it is from John. Because here he is telling his audience, some 40 to 50 years after Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, that the eternal God who is the word of life and embodies the word of life, came 
to earth. This is at the very beginning the essential doctrine of the incarnate Christ. Now, I need to step into the academic for just a moment, and I need you to understand so that we can place good context here. This was a rub for the false teachers. This was a rub. Because in these days, there's two main groups of false teachers. Number one, the first group is a Jewish group. The Jewish group believed this. Jesus was just man, or at the very least, or was at least more man than God. The Jewish group said that Jesus was just man. They had a hard time with agreeing that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, God in the flesh. But they recognized that he was at the very least a man. Then you had a second group. This group is what we would call a Gnostic group. Gnostic group. The Gnostic group believed that Jesus was God who only appears to be human. He is God who only appears to be human because Gnostics believe all spirit is good and all matter is evil. So God would never become matter because then God would become evil. And so you had the Jewish group that said Jesus was just man. You had the Gnostic group that says Jesus was just God and he was not man. Now this had implication. Later the Gnostic group develops into what, we would, what has been known as docetism. And docetism comes from a word that means appear. Literally, it was that Jesus appeared bodily, but he was not. He appeared bodily at his baptism, but he was not bodily. And so John is writing to combat this, and he does so by, right off the bat, right off the bat, he tells the Jewish believer, the so-called, this is why I said you can profess Christ without possessing Christ, the so-called Jewish believer, John tells him Jesus was not just man. He was actually in existence from the beginning. To the docetist, he said Jesus didn't just appear human. He didn't just appear human. So how does John tell the docetist, the Gnostic, that Jesus actually was bodily present, God in the flesh? How does he do that? Well, in verse 1, he did that. He says, here's how we know this, that the person from the beginning is the word of life. He sandwiches those claws with this explanation. Notice it. He said, we heard, we have seen, we have looked upon, we have handled. We have heard, we have seen, we have looked upon, and we have handled. See, for John, simply hearing was not enough. Why? Because in the Old Testament, the people heard the voice of God. Do you recall Exodus chapter 20? As God spoke to them the Ten Commandments, verse 18, and all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us. You speak to us, Moses. We will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. See, the people in the Old Testament had heard God's voice. Seeing, hearing was not enough. John said even seeing and looking upon him was not enough. Although looking upon him was compelling. We saw him bodily. But you know what? You can see something, according to the docetists, you can see someone who has just appeared as a spirit. But listen very carefully, friends. John goes further and says, oh, no, 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 we handled him. We handled him. We touched him. Literally, the word had been made flesh, and they touched him. 
And when the risen Lord appeared to the disciples in Luke's gospel, he told them this, Luke 24, 39, notice these words, Behold my hands, look, 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 behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Notice the next two words, handle me. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. This matters to the Christian faith, friends. This is the foundation I told you. John is building a case for the sufficiency and the deity of Jesus Christ. And so he tells them. They heard him. They saw him. They touched him. The early church fought a battle over this. Hear me. Early church fought a battle over this, and Scripture gives us an explanation of it. Don't miss this. It's so important. The eternal Son cannot be separated from the historical Jesus. They are the same. You cannot separate them. When you separate them, you lose Christianity. The eternal Son cannot be separated from the historical Jesus. They are the same. That is why he is Jesus Christ. John said they heard, saw, and touched. The person that they heard, saw, and touched was from the beginning, and he was the word of life. Literally, the logos of life. I told you, you're gonna, this is hard work. If you're not tired yet, get ready. I'm tired. It's debated here. The word of life. Is it the person of Jesus or the gospel? The word logos means something said or expressed. The Greek word logos, which is translated in your English Bible to word. The logos is something said or expressed. So in John's gospel, he is the word. In the beginning was the word, the logos. It is John's way in his gospel of saying that Jesus is the expression and the revelation of the Father to us. But hear me. In Acts chapter 15, the same word logos is also in reference to the gospel message which is expressed verbally, spoken, preached. And I'm going to argue to you throughout this study, and specifically today, that in 1 John, I believe that John is saying that Jesus is the Word, the expression of the Father, and at the, ver- at the same time, He is the Word. He is the very source of the Gospel. Now that matters because of everything in this book that flows out of this portion. And we're going to see in verse 2 why He is both the Word of the Father and the word, the source, and the message of the gospel. Look at verse 2 of 1 John 1. For the life was manifested. The word of life, the life was manifested. And we have, and we have seen it. And bear witness. And show unto you that eternal life. Which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Now a lot of... A lot of clarification here, but the life was manifested. He was seen, heard, touched. John says next that the apostles, in seeing him, are actual eyewitnesses of Christ. They were given this revelation. Now hear me very carefully. Jesus was visible to few for the sake of many. The apostles were tasked, as we're going to see in a moment, 
of not only seeing Jesus, but then bearing witness. What was the apostles' purpose? Their testimony and their proclamation. You could not be an apostle without witnessing personally an eyewitness of the risen Christ. So John said Jesus was manifest so that the apostles could tell us. They saw so they could show. They saw so they could say. So they could preach and declare the one who from the beginning was with the Father, who is manifest to us. And the truth is, the Jewish so-called believers and the Gnostic so-called believers could not claim to be Christians without a biblical Christology. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who was made flesh. He was truly God and truly man. Seen, heard, handled by the apostles to make known the truth of Christ to us. What was the purpose? What was the purpose of this declaration of the apostles? Well, John said it in verse 2. He said, the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life. Show unto you that eternal life. Why was Christ manifest to the apostles? So they could show unto us eternal life. And how? By showing us the one who is with the Father and manifest unto us. Listen, what would the life of Jesus witnessed, declared, and believed produce? What would it produce? Hear me very carefully. Let me explain something very foundational to biblical study. Doctrine produces lifestyle. Doctrine produces belief. So that's the lofty doctrine of the eternality of Christ. What does that come down to for us? Well, he says there, notice in verse 3. The word of life, witness, declared, and believed, produces the fellowship of believers. Notice in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, here is the progression of thought from John. Seen and heard, declared, produces fellowship with us. But that fellowship which John writes cannot happen without the latter part of the verse. And this is where the false teachers, they go awry because they do not have fellowship with the Father and they do not have fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so they cannot and do not have fellowship with us, John says. And so the doctrine of Christ produces fellowship with the Father and with the Son that produces fellowship with the believers. This is the immediate, this is the immediate blessing of the gospel that is declared. I need you to hear this. Because if you have grown up in church any amount of time like I have, the gospel's chief and only purpose, it seemed at times, was eternal life. But John says here in verse 2 that it is eternal life, but there's an immediate implication of believing on Christ as the Son of God, and that immediate implication is fellowship with believers. You did not just get Jesus for heaven, you got Jesus now for the body of Christ. 
What is that formed? What is it that forms the fellowship in the body of Christ? It's the message of the gospel that is declared and believed. This is basic Christianity right here. There is an intricate link between believing the gospel, loving the gospel, and loving the gospel family. Acts chapter 2. Hope you're doing all right. I'm trying here. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help myself. Acts 2.41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. The same word fellowship in 1 John 1 is the same word in Acts 2.42. It's the Greek word, you've probably heard it, koinona. Koinona speaks of sharing in common something that is significant and important. It entails the joy and oneness in a group of people who are in accord regarding something, regarding something that really matters. You share common values, beliefs, and goals. You love the same things, and you pursue a common agenda, according to Danny Aiken. See, koinona is rooted in our shared value and belief of Jesus, and therefore the Father, as John's going to argue in this letter. The Christian family is in fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And at the end of the letter, He's going to call us to see the importance of the Holy Spirit in that. Now listen very carefully. Let me make all this doctrine practical. The practical, according to John, is this. You cannot claim God as your Father and Jesus as your Savior and separate yourselves from the fellowship of the family. It's a little punchy, isn't it? You cannot claim God as your Father, Jesus as your Savior, and separate from the fellowship of the family. That's like saying 2 plus 2 equals 5 and arguing it till you're blue in the face. In New Testament Christianity, there is no believe on Jesus, but have no part of the fellowship of the family. You were saved in many respects to be a part of God's people in Christ, this is the Father's heart for the family. And so Jesus himself actually prays to that end in John 17 when he says that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me and the glory which thou givest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, the they and we, the they and we. We are to be one as a family because the Father and Son are one trinitarily. The fellowship of the saints is a big deal to John. And it ought to be a big deal to us. But I want you to understand something else John says here. He says in verse 3, he says that ye also may have fellowship with us. So I want to stop there for a moment. John's entire heart in this is he's watched, he's watched the Jewish believers, so-called, the Gnostic so-called believers, separate from the jo Johannine community of faith there in Ephesus and around Turkey. They have separated. They have left the faith. John is writing and saying, no, no, I, I'm writing this that ye also may have fellowship with us because fellowship was so important. And so what he's doing there is he is not only confirming, but he is inviting others into the family. I want to ask you something this morning. Are we inviting others into this spiritual family? Are we? The problem often in a church is we are so friendship-focused 
that there's not, that, that there's the outsiders, so to speak, are not really included. I mean, they're welcome, but they're not really included. I want to ask you something this morning. Is there a group of people that you don't want to be a part of this family? Who's unworthy? Who's unwanted? Do you uh, only want fellowship with those that are politically aligned like you? How about those that see everything biblically the same as you do? Is that your fellowship? Is your basis of your Christianity based on on external things? What, What about those with whom you disagree? See, friends, we are called to invite all people, as Jesus does. We're, invited, we're called to invite all people to the family, all people to the fellowship, all people to the eternal feast. This is our gospel-shaped response. You and I are to be wanting more fellowshippers. <laughs> and all this sounds so direct, doesn't it? Because the basis of our Christian faith is the eternal Son of God made flesh, dying on our behalf, and raised again, and believing on Him, We are brought into his family to be with his people. And John's progression continues here in the prologue, and I I conclude with this portion. The word of life produces the fellowship of believers, which gives believers, or I can say it, gives a blessing for believers. A blessing, the blessing for believers. What's the blessing? Why? (laughs) You might go, why would I ever want to be a part of this family? It's a good question. It's legitimate. Because we're crazy. Notice in verse 4, he says, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full. What things? I don't think John's talking about the whole book here when he says that in verse 4. I think he's talking about all that he said in the first three verses. The first three verses. What did he say? He called us to believe on the true, real Jesus. He called us to constantly hear and believe the message of the gospel, to make the gospel, the word of life, a center of our life, the center of our life. He called us to saturate ourselves in fellowship with other believers. And what is the result of that? I can't always explain it, but John says it's full joy. Full joy. And you might know this, that joy is actually an important theme in the Johannan writing. In John 15, 11, he says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Those are the words of Jesus, penned by John. In 2 John 12, he says, Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face, that our joy, our joy may be full. Listen, there's a half a dozen examples of John talking about joy in his writing, and every, every instance is about fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. Every one of them, look them up. Do you want full joy? John says full joy is about, is about the, the, uh, the, the person of Jesus, the, the belief on the gospel, the fellowship with believers, and this all brings a full joy. And so here is a simple way for you to see it this morning. Here it is, you ready? Message, fellowship, joy. The right message, the fellowship of the body of Christ, produces joy. You get wrong on the message, you ignore the fellowship, you lose joy. This is John's progression. 
We're wondering why our joy is missing. It's we're missing the gospel and gospel fellowship. Truthfully, truthfully, we have to recognize something as we read this. There's not perfectly full joy on this side of heaven because there's no perfect fellowship on this side of heaven. So John is also speaking about what is already but not yet. Joy, that is a taste of what is to come. When our fellowship is made perfect and our joy full because of Christ. That comes in eternity future. But in the already but not yet, John says you get to experience this joy. It ought to feel like heaven when we believe the right message. When we delight in fellowship with other believers. Joy comes. Now we need to understand something. The message we hear and believe will be the message that drives our actions. I'm convinced that people neglect the body of Christ because people typically lack a comprehension of what the gospel actually is. They believed to get out of hell and to get heaven, but they failed to recognize that they were saved to be a part of a people. Think about John the Apostle for a moment. Think about his message and actions. He called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He believed that. He believed he was loved, and it changed him. It changed him so much that John constantly talks about love for one another. That is a practical example of how the message we believe transforms our lives now. When it comes to the message of Christ, when it comes to the message of Christ that will produce right fellowship, that will give us joy, we need to hear that message over and over and over and over. Read it and read it and read it and see it and see it and hear it and hear it and hear it because that will produce the fellowship and the joy. It's like Kate, it's like Kate Hankey said, I got a lot of favorite hymns. I don't know that I love a hymn more than I love Kate Hankey's hymn. I love to tell the story. In her last verse, she wrote it like this. I love to tell the story. For those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. That hungering and thirsting. That hungering and thirsting produces a fellowship that gives us the desire of our heart, which is joy. When we encounter, friends, when we encounter the real Jesus, our life's purpose and aim are changed and shaped. Our aim is his glory, his purposes, and his people. Fellowship is desired and initiated. Desired and initiated. Fellowship is pursued. And in so doing, our joy will be full. You want that joy? You don't need a grand pursuit to find it. You don't even need more things to get it. Or another person. You want full joy? John says it. You need the message of the real Jesus preached in the gospel and the fellowship with the saints. I want to ask you this morning, do you know the real Jesus as your Savior? Do you? I mean the real Jesus. When I say the real Jesus, I mean the one that was in the beginning, that was heard, seen, handled. The word of life. Have you placed your faith in him as your savior? You say, why would I need a savior? 
Because God the Father, your creator, God your creator, made you for his glory, but you and I chose to glory and serve ourselves. We as sinners chose to turn our back from our creator. And the gospel message is this. God created you. You rebelled against God and you became an enemy, a sinner. Deserving because of the justice and the righteousness of God. Deserving of eternal punishment for your sin. But Jesus Christ came to this earth. Jesus Christ, the one who is from the beginning, the word of life. The one who is heard, seen, and handled. Came and he died on a cross to pay for the sins of all mankind. He was buried in a tomb. He came out three days later and after the resurrection, guess what happened? They heard him, they saw him, and they touched him. And they believed. And if you place your faith on the real Jesus, he will give you, number one, he will forgive your sins. And he will give you, yes, heaven, but he'll give you heaven on earth now by being a part of a new people. A new people. See, what you believe about the real Jesus will affect what you believe about his people and will affect your joy. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? If you have, if you have, and you claim that you have, ask yourself, what do I believe about Jesus? Is he God in the flesh for me? The word of life? If he is, he's called you to fellowship with the believers. He has enabled in so doing your full joy and my full joy. Isn't Jesus precious? I told you it's a little heady. It's a little bit rigorous doctrinally. I hope next week it gets a little bit more practical. But practical is not our goal. Truth is our goal. Jesus is our goal. His joy, excuse me, his glory and our joy. That is our goal. So come ready for the second part. If you're here today and you say, well, I don't know that I'm a Christian. I don't know that I've placed my faith in Jesus. We'd love to share the message of the gospel with you. See me on the way out. Let's sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk about it. And I'd love to introduce you to the biblical Jesus. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.